Kamusta, this is your host Alicia, aka your favorite Asian. This week we will be talking about two great Asian women in history, Patsy Mink of Hawaii and Arbit Yonka of the Philippines. First, let's start with Patsy Mink. Patsy Matsu Takimoto was born in Hawaiian territory on December 6, 1927, and she was one of two children raised by Suai Matsu Takimoto, a civil engineer, and Mitama Tatiyama Takimoto. She graduated from Maui High School in 1944 as class president and valedictorian and went on to attend Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, and then she went to the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, but she ended up transferring after facing racial discrimination. All students of color were not allowed to live in the same dorm as white students. But before she left, she formed the unaffiliated students of the University of Nebraska for students of color who were prohibited from joining fraternities and sororities, and the group successfully changed the university's housing policies. In addition, Mink was diagnosed with thyroid condition that needed surgery, so this was also a factor in why she decided to transfer. She decided to move to Honolulu to finish her schooling at the University of Hawaii with hopes of becoming a doctor. At her new school, she became a member of the varsity debate team and was elected president of the pre-medicine students club. She graduated with a BA in zoology and chemistry from the University of Hawaii in 1948. Now Mink originally planned to pursue a medical degree but turned to law school after several medical schools turned down her application. Then three years later she earned a JD from the University of Chicago Law School, being the first Hawaiian Nisei woman to do so. Nisei means a person born in the US or Canada whose parents were immigrants from Japan. While at the University of Chicago, she met John Mink, a graduate student in geology at the university, playing the card game Bridge at the International House. By 1951, she married John Mink, and the couple had one child, a daughter named Gwendolyn, and they ended up moving to Honolulu. Facing discrimination from bigger firms due to her interracial marriage, Patsy Mink went into private law practice and lectured on business law at the University of Hawaii. In 1954, Mink founded the Oahu Young Democrats and worked as an attorney for the Territorial House of Representatives in 19. 1955. Mink won election to that chamber in 1956 and in 1958 before winning a seat in the Territorial Senate where she served from 1958 to 1959. In 1959, when Hawaii achieved statehood, Mink set her sights on the new state's lone at-large seat in the U.S. House of Representatives and began to campaign for the post. Although her attempt was unsuccessful, in 1962, she won a seat in the Hawaii State Senate. By 1964, a second position was created in the U.S. House of Representatives and with the help of her husband and several volunteers, Mink won a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, making her the first Asian American woman to serve in Congress. In the House, Mink successfully sought a seat on the Committee of Education and Labor, on which she served from the 89th Congress through the 94th Congress. In her second term, she also joined the Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs, and in the 93rd and 94th Congresses, served on the Budget Committee. Among the education acts Mink introduced or sponsored in the U.S. House were the first child care bill and legislation establishing bilingual education, student loans, special education, professional sabbaticals for teachers, and Head Start. Head Start programs promote the school readiness of infants, toddlers, and preschool age children from low-income families. And then starting in 1967, she also put significant effort into passing a bill to institute a national daycare system to support low-income households. Mink also maintained a focus on national issues, especially those affecting Asian Pacific Americans 
Americans in the Pacific region. She fought to preserve family reunification provisions in several proposed immigration reform bills and worked alongside Representative Matsunaga to educate Americans about the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. As a member of the Interior and Insular Affairs Committee, she supported the economic and political development of the trust territory of the Pacific Islands. And then as chair of the Subcommittee on Mines and Mining, she helped author the Landmark Service Mining Control and Reclamation Act of 1975, and in the following year, helped to pass a major overhaul of the Mineral Leasing Act of 1920. Working with Representative Edith Starrett Green of Oregon and Senator Birch Bayh of Indiana, Mink built critical support for Title IX of the Education Amendments of 1972, which barred sexual discrimination in institutions receiving federal funds and opened opportunities for women in athletics. In 1974, she was able to pass the Women's Educational Equity Act to promote gender equality in schools. In May 1994, Mink joined Representative Norman Mineta of California and other colleagues in forming the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus. Mink stated that they felt that we have not been consulted on important steps taken by this administration and ones in the past. With so few APA members of Congress, the caucus welcomed representatives and senators as full members, regardless of ethnicity. Mink won election as chairwoman of the caucus when Mineta resigned from Congress the following year, and she served in that capacity through 1997. On September 28, 2002, after a month-long hospitalization with pneumonia, Patsy Mink died in Honolulu, Hawaii. Her name, though, remained on the November ballot, and she was re-elected by a wide margin. After her death, the Title IX law was renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act. She was also awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Norman Mineta called Mink an American hero, a leader, and a trailblazer who made an irreplaceable mark in the fabric of our country. So with that, thank you Patsy Mink for inspiring Asian Americans like me. Now we will discuss the murder of Arbit Yonka. Arbit Yonka was a lawyer defending the rights of women and children and championed the delivery of justice for the disadvantaged in the 1990s. In 1997, as legal services director of the law center known as the Legal Alternatives for Women Center, she was passionate for a movement that made violence against women and children a concern. She opened her house as a refuge to abused women and children who had no place to stay while pursuing their cases in the city. A colleague said that at a national congress, Arbet guided them in proposing amendments to the anti-job discrimination law. Now, Arbet Yunko was the prosecutor on the case of Ruben Iclio Jr., a cult leader in the Philippines. Regional trial judge Anicleto Caminad signed an order releasing Iclio from the city jail on a 1 million bail bond. Earlier, Judge Labra allowed Iclio Jr. to post bail, set as 1 million pesos about 20 months after he was locked behind bars. Labra cited Iclio's serious alignments and worsening health conditions as grounds for granting the former mayor's motion for bail. However, the office of the Cebu City Prosecutor, which was Arbit Yonko, filed a motion for reconsideration. She told reporters that she feared for the lives of her clients now that Iclio is free. Yonko said that she already felt that the judge would release Iclio, prompting her to file a motion, but her motion was not heard. She said the prosecution team would file a motion with the Court of Appeals, but nothing could stop the release of Iclio. So you're probably wondering, like, who is Ruben Iclio Jr.? Iclio Jr. is the son of the Philippine Benevolent Missionaries 
Association, also known as PBMA, founder Rublin Iglio. The religious group, often described as a cult, has about a million members in the Philippines and abroad. Iglio Jr. took over after his father died in 1987. He served as mayor of San Jose from 1991 to 1994 while head of the PBMA. Iglio Jr. was accused of killing his wife, Alana Buckloat, on January 5th, 2002. Alana was strangled to death by Iglio at their home on January 5th. Her body was found three days later inside a black garbage bag dumped in a ravine in Dalagat Town, southern Cebu. Alana, at the time, was in her senior year as a medical student in a Cebu university. Josebel and Ricky are the only surviving members of the Balakud family. Josebel, who lived in the couple's house, said he bought crystal meth for Iglio the day before Alana was killed. Their parents and siblings were murdered in an attack by a lone gunman said to be a member of the Iglio cult at the same day Iglio was captured. Then, in an armed clash took place in the Dinagat Islands when members of the Criminal Investigation and Detection Group in Central Visayas were met by armed members of the PBMA on June 19, 2002, when they attempted to serve Iglio with the arrest warrant. According to a report in the Philippine Star, 19 people were killed in the raid, 16 of them being PBMA members, while one police officer was killed. At least 50 PBMA members were arrested during the raid, so Josebel and Ricky were fearful and disappointed in this court decision. Then, on October 11, 2004, Arbit Yonko was shot four times in the cheek and neck. Many believe her death has something to do with her role in the Iglio case. Task Force and a team of 16 lawyers from the Integrated Bar of the Philippines filed a murder case against Michael Favia Sr. and a companion for the death. Cebu City Mayor Tomas Osmeña is willing to bet that the murder had something to do with the Iglio case. Mayor Osmeña said the killing was a brazen act that may be done by people who think they are beyond the law, who think they are God. He put 100,000 pesos reward for the capture of the gunman because he already knew who the mastermind was behind the killing, but he wanted the killer. The task force had six witnesses, but Rolando Garcia, Police Regional Officer 7 Director, said that they did not include the two witnesses who recanted their statements. The lawyer Philemon Yonko, Arbit's husband, executed an affidavit detailing how he and his utility worker were the first to see Arbit bathed in her own blood after the shooting. The utility worker executed an affidavit that he saw the gunman, who he later identified identified from police photographs as Michael Favia Sr., attempting to flee the crime scene on a red motorcycle. The task force also attached the affidavit of another witness, a 10-year-old girl who picked out Favia from a collection presented to her by the police. The girl said she saw the gunman as he took out a gun tucked in his waistband and entered Yonko's office. Favia is also a member of the Philippine Benevolent Missionaries Association in which Iglio led. Favia finally took the witness stand during the court hearing and told told the court it was physically impossible for him to be the gunman. Favia said he was in the island of Kagawan Siu in Palawan the day Yonko was shot in her office residence. The defense had presented an attendance sheet of a barangay meeting Favia reportedly attended in Palawan the same morning that Yonko was killed. During direct examination, the defense wanted to establish the physical impossibilities of Favia's alleged presence in Cebu during the murder. Defense lawyer Giovanni Mata made Favia inform the court the distance of travel from 
from the island to Palawan and from Palawan to Cebu. Pavia said it takes a 20 to 24 hour ferry ride from the island to the mainland and at least two days sea travel from Palawan to Cebu. Pavia said religion has taught him not to hurt other people, more so kill. Pavia narrated to court how he voluntarily went to National Bureau of Investigation Office in Puerto Presentes, Palawan for the purpose of clearing his name when he learned he was tagged as Junko's killer. However, things did not turn out the way he expected them to be. He was instead taken to Cebu and indicted to the murder charge. While Favia was sent to jail, he was never convicted of the crime because he died in 2009. That same year, Arbet's former office is now the Legal Alternatives for Women office and a training center where they train women and out-of-school youths. Youths have a computer training program and it is named after Arbet. Youngko was a pioneer member, so this was fitting for the office to become this. As far as Ecleo goes, in 2012, the court sentenced Ecleo to life imprisonment after he was found guilty of killing his wife back in 2002. In 2017, Ecleo, who had been on the run for six years, said he was willing to surrender on the condition that his former lawyers, Orlando Salanchande Jr. and Giovanna Mata, be disbarred and his case be reopened. When Ecleo disappeared shortly after his conviction, he was dropped from the role of members in the House of Representatives after his conviction, but he was still able to serve two years of his term before going into hiding. By July 30th, 2020, he was finally captured. And with that, we honor Arbet Yonko. Follow me on Instagram at your favorite Asian podcast and hit that follow button if you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any cases that you would like me to cover, please email me at your favorite Asian podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to show kindness and advocate for equality. Pa'alam, and I'll talk to you again next Sunday. Thank you.